Today I'd like to begin a series focused on being kingdom ready. Okay, I want to talk to you about being kingdom ready. And, and what I believe the Lord wants us to ask ourselves today, as we consider the scripture, I believe it's a question we, we should be asking ourselves, whether it's worded this way or differently. Every day we need to ask ourselves, are we ready for the kingdom of God? Are we ready for the kingdom of God? Are we ready for all that that means? Are we kingdom ready? Number one, are we ready for the return of the Lord Jesus? If we were to come today, are we ready? Does that excite us or concern us? Are we ready for Jesus' return? Secondly, are we ready for his rewards and his judgment? Are we, are we not only kingdom ready for eternity, but are we kingdom ready for today? Because I believe with all my heart that God's intention is for his kingdom to be real in our lives today and for us to live according to the demands of his kingdom and the power of his kingdom today, not just in eternity, but right now. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done is the way he taught his disciples to pray. So God's intention is for us to experience his kingdom here. When we look at scripture, it's very clear to see that the purpose of the gospel is to get us kingdom ready. As a matter of fact, the entire ministry of Jesus was propelled for the kingdom of God and focused on establishing his kingdom in our hearts. whole purpose of Jesus coming, dying on the cross, and raising from the grave is that his kingdom will be alive in us, that God, the king, will be alive in us. Matthew chapter 4, 23 through 25 reads this way, and he went throughout all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction among the people. So his fame spread throughout all Syria, and they brought him all the sick, those afflicted with various diseases and pains, those oppressed by demons, epileptics, and paralytics, and he healed them. And great crowds followed him from Galilee and the Decapolis and from Jerusalem and Judea and from beyond the Jordan. When you look at this scripture, you see Jesus, number one, first he was, first he was, uh, we see that he grew in favor with God and men according to scripture as a child. We see him being baptized by John and the heavens opened up and the Holy Spirit descended on Jesus like a dove and God the Father spoke and said, this is my son in him I am well pleased. Immediately afterwards, the Holy Spirit takes him into the desert to be tempted by the devil. He endured those temptations. The devil left for an opportune time. Immediately afterwards, Jesus enters into a temple and he says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, for he has anointed me. For what? To set free the captives, to declare good news to the poor, to declare the acceptable year of jubilee or the year of restoration and favor of the Lord, right? And to heal the brokenhearted. And then immediately afterwards, we see that Jesus goes in the streets and as he's walking in Galilee and teaching and preaching and uh, sharing the gospel of the kingdom, you see a Jesus who walks in power. You cannot separate the gospel of Jesus from the power of Jesus. You cannot separate the reality that people were drawn to Jesus partly because of the power that came out of his life to heal, to deliver, to bring peace To bring resurrection life. When we talk about God's kingdom, when we talk about God's kingdom in our hearts, what we're saying is this 
When Jesus came to earth, he came to call us out of the kingdom of darkness and the bondage of sin, which always leads to death, and to call us into his kingdom of righteousness, of peace, and of joy leading to eternal life. According to scripture, you and I, through the sacrifice of Jesus, have been taken from the bondage of sin and darkness. Isn't that good news? Anybody excited about that? We have been redeemed. Jesus came to redeem us from that bondage and bring us into his kingdom. And the kingdom of God is defined by righteousness, by peace, by joy, by contentment in him, by intimacy with God. Closeness with him. When sin entered into the world through Adam, we relinquished or we lost the ability to live and abide in the kingdom of God. Which again is defined by peace, joy, righteousness, contentment, intimacy with God. I mean, think about the reality of the intimacy that Adam and Eve shared with God. The, Amer- the, the English uh, word doesn't even compare to what they must have experienced. All we know is that the scripture says that Adam and Eve knew God. That's all they have to give us. But can you imagine the closeness that they must have experienced with God? Because the Bible says the moment they ate from the fruit, we know for sure that they felt shame. They felt nakedness. They felt distant from God. Just makes me wonder, wow, what did they know about God? And what closeness did they experience that we cannot even come close to describing in English words or any language? When you look at the Bible and you look at Abel and Cain, even Cain, who was cursed by God, knew what it was to be in the presence of God because the Bible says that when God judged Cain, that Cain said, your punishment is too much. For you have driven me from your presence. What in the world did they know about the presence of God? That we cannot even come close to understand it seems today. When Adam sinned, you and I were separated from God. When we sinned, we were separated from God, from intimacy with God. The whole purpose of the Bible is not just a mission. It is about the kingdom of God. God establishing a plan by which he will restore his kingdom. When Jesus came, it was the fulfillment of the kingdom. It was king himself in the flesh coming to call people to be under his kingdom. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that incredible? But here's where it gets crazy. God's intention for us is not so that we would walk under the covering of his kingdom. It's not just that. You know, when Moses walked in the presence of God, the Bible says that God went before him, right? Or the people, that there was always a leading presence of God with them. That's incredible. Some, how, how many of y'all would say that would be great to experience, right? But this is more than God before us, in front of us, and behind us, and around us. This is deeper than that. God's desire is not just to be in front of us, beside us, or or to set an atmosphere around us. No, this is what God desires about his kingdom, that his kingdom would live in us. Not that his kingdom would be the atmosphere that we would experience, the kingdom of joy and peace and righteousness. No, but that it would be in us. That it would live in us so that no matter where we would go, the reality of righteousness and peace and joy and the power of the kingdom would be real in us. Therefore, since the kingdom of God lives in us, we don't have to succumb or be submitted to the circumstances or the environment that surrounds us. But rather, the environment that surrounds us has to succumb to the kingdom in us. You understand what that means? The whole difference, right? We hear it so many times between a thermostat and a thermometer, right? A thermometer just takes the temperature, just tells you what the climate's like. Well, a thermostat sets the climate. 
you and I as believers are called to be thermostats, so to speak. Because the kingdom of God is not limited to your environment. It's the other way around. Your environment is submitted to the kingdom of God in you. This is what God desires. Not that we would go to the tabernacle. Not that we would experience the glory of the tabernacle. Not that the tabernacle would go in front of us and behind us and around us. But that we would be the tabernacle of God. That the very glory of God would fill us in such a way that darkness has to flee. And that the Spirit of God would actually reign in the midst of darkness. Because you are a temperature setter. Because you are a revolution. Because the kingdom is in you. Think about that. Oh man, I weep. I weep and pray to be the kind of man of old. You heard of the old revivalist, Brother Mo? They were so filled with the glory of God that they wouldn't say a word, but people would just fall before them and cry out, you must be a man of God. What must I do to be right with God? Without saying one word. Charles Finney, who walked into homes that were dedicated to prostitution, and overnight they became churches for God. Where is that anointing? Where is the God that roars like a lion in the people? Man, I'm telling you, I want that song to be a reality. And as we're singing that song, I'm weeping within God. Will that be the reality of your church? Because if God is dead in America, it's because the church is representing a God that is dead. But really, God is alive and he's looking to roar like a lion inside his church. This is the kingdom of God. I want you to ask yourself this question. I want you to think about the circumstances and the trials that you're facing. I want you to think about the giants in your life that have depressed you, oppressed you, broke you down, and keeps you in fear. I want you to think about all those things. I want you to think about them. Think hard. Think about the details of those things. Then I want you to answer this question. Which one of those trials is greater than the kingdom of God? Which one of those trials trumped the cross? Which one of those trials is greater than, which one of those sicknesses, which one of those financial problems, which one of those issues with reconciliation in the family is bigger than the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ? None. Zero. You and I are supposed to be that church that the gates of hell cannot prevail against. I want you to say this with me. The gates of hell cannot prevail against me. Repeat that. The gates of hell cannot prevail against me because you're the church. Do you believe that? I bet some of you felt uncomfortable even saying that. But you're the church. And Jesus said the gates of hell will not prevail against his church. Will not prevail against his church. This is what God desires for you. The kingdom of God alive in you. Do you see that this is what he delights? This is the whole purpose of why Jesus came to earth, why he learned obedience through sufferings, why he was separated from God the Father for that moment. Not so that we can come to church, but that we would be the very dwelling place of the Holy Ghost. 
the very dwelling place of the Holy Ghost as we train our children, as we go to work. Can you imagine what that will do to this world, a church that believes that the gates of hell cannot prevail against us? What would that do to our community? What would that do to our city? Jesus began to start, a, he's begun a revolution. He was going with power and might, declaring the kingdom. He was declaring the kingdom, the power of God was alive and well and changing things from the inside out. And as he was doing that, he was not only teaching about the power of his kingdom, he was not teaching about the reality of the gospel of the kingdom uh, in, in, in regards to the power, but it was also talking about the character that comes from those who are a part of the kingdom of God. He's talking about the reality of what it looks like to be people of the kingdom of God. And I want to talk to you about what Jesus, I want to just share with you, begin with, with the Beatitudes and begin to look at the character of those who are the kingdom of God, those who are kingdom ready, what their character looks like. Chapter 5 on down reads this way. Seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. And blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness' sake, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. My God and my Father, thank you for your word. Lord, I want, I, want to, I want your kingdom to be manifest through me that you would get the glory in every way, in power and in character, that you would be glorified in all things. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Lord, help me communicate this word. Anoint me, God, to receive and communicate this word. Give us ears to hear today, eyes to see in Jesus' name. Amen. When we begin to read here, we see again Jesus who begins his ministry. And as he begins his ministry, the power of God is very evident in his life as he goes out and does the work that God's called him to do as his father. And as he does that, he's again declaring, declaring the truth of the gospel. And part of the power of God deals with the character that God puts in us, right? It is the power of God that gives us the character that God desires for us. And he begins to dive deep into what that looks like. And I'm just going to dive into maybe three of those things today. And he opened his mouth and taught them saying, before we dive into that, I want to give you a little bit of the context here. Jesus is beginning to teach in a very Jewish literary form. Uh, This is a way that Jews will communicate truth in the whole if it will go well to the person who does this because they will inherit, because they will receive that. And so that's what the Beatitudes are. Also, the word blessed is very important. Either you, some people say blessed, others say blessed, whatever. 
the, the, the word blessed itself actually means to be, to be favored, to be happy, to be fortunate, to be whole. And so another part of this is that when we read the Beatitudes, Jesus never intended for us to read the Beatitudes one by one. Not that we shouldn't study what they mean one by one, but that this, are, this is supposed to be, this is, this is supposed to be read as a whole, as a unit. So therefore, it's not that one of these things define our characters, but all these things should define the character of the man and the woman of God. Does that make sense? Are you with me so far? So all of the Beatitudes are character traits that we should have as we walk and live for the kingdom, as we're kingdom ready for him. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. If I could describe to you but being, uh, uh, what it means to be poor in spirit, it, it, there are two major things that we need to get from being poor in spirit. Number one, someone who is poor in spirit is someone who knows that they are too spiritually bankrupt to serve heaven. Someone who is poor in spirit is someone who understands that they are too spiritually bankrupt to serve heaven. There is no way that you and I can pay the price uh, that Jesus paid instead of receiving what Jesus has paid for us so that we can make it to heaven. Are you with me? There is no way that you and I can stand before a righteous judge and say, judge us. We know that we're righteous and we know that we're in. <laughs> it is completely, utterly impossible and arrogant to actually think that we can. We are spiritually bankrupt. And someone who is poor in spirit is one who understands that they're totally dependent on the grace and the provision and the love of God. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who recognize that they cannot save themselves. Those who understand that they're too spiritually bankrupt to be godly or righteous in any sense or form. Blessed are those who understand, I depend on the provision of my God. Poor in spirit speaks to the reality that we are dependent on Him. We're too spiritually bankrupt to pay the price for salvation. Secondly, it also speaks of possession and what we have. Being poor in spirit speaks of an attitude about what we have. I want you to understand this. The person who is poor in spirit is a person who says, I have nothing. What I have belongs to the Lord. The person who is poor in spirit is someone who says, nothing is mine. And what I do have, it belongs to the Lord. I want you to know that there are many wealthy people I believe that there are wealthy people who are very poor in spirit. Why? Because when they look at their possessions, they look at it as what? They look at it as something that belongs to the Lord. This isn't mine. This is what the Lord has given. If he takes it away, blessed be his name. But I want you to know that there are some people who consider themselves poor who are not poor in spirit. You know what I'm saying? Because entitlement is is the opposite of being poor in spirit. Demanding our rights is the opposite of being poor in spirit. And I don't know how that messes with you, but I know that that messes with me. Man. Being poor in spirit. Uh, uh, again, uh, the nature of poor in spirit is saying, God, I don't have anything, and whatever I have is what you've given me, so they belong to you. The Bible clearly tells us about a rich man, Matthew chapter 19, 16 through 27. And behold, a man came up to him saying, Teacher, what good deed must I do to have eternal life? And he said to him, why do you ask me about what is good? There is only one who is good. If you would enter life, keep the commandments. In other words, if you want eternal life, 
do the commandments? And he said to him, which ones? And Jesus said, you shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, and you shall not bear false witness. Honor your father and mother, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And the young man said to him, said to him all these I've kept. What do I still lack? And Jesus said to him, if you would be perfect, go sell what you possess and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven and come follow me. When the young man heard this, he went away sorrowful, for he had, he had great possessions. And Jesus said to his disciples, truly I say to you, only with difficulty will a rich person enter into the kingdom of heaven. Want to describe to you here what's going on? This young man comes to Jesus. There's obviously something that's bothering him that he makes himself, he, he, he purposes to seek Jesus and ask. There's something, there's an emptiness in him. And by what we can see in Scripture, pay attention, he is morally, morally correct. He is totally morally righteous. Isn't that incredible? I think it's important to point out because I think still today in the church, there are many of us who believe that how do we get to heaven? By the good things that we do. You will never fill that well, my friend. You will never do enough good things to get you into heaven. There will always be an emptiness. There will always be an emptiness. And this young man had done all the commandments. Jesus said to him, go do the commandments. And I think Jesus was again luring him in, just getting him ready for the big ask, right? For the big question. And, 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 and the young man said, I've done all these things from my youth. And he knew it, but what do I still lack? What do I still lack? Jesus said, go get rid of everything you have and follow me. Give it to the poor and follow me. Then you will be perfect. And the young man couldn't do it because he had great possessions. Let me just tell you something. If you and I are going to be people of the kingdom, if we're going to be people who walk in the power of the kingdom, if we're going to be people who are going to line up to the character and the nature of those who are of the kingdom, then we're going to be people that look at our possessions as belonging to God and not to us. Nothing belongs to us. To him, everything still belonged to him. He had great possessions he couldn't part with. To us, if we're going to be kingdom people, we got to be willing to say what we have, Father, belongs completely and totally to you. If you would be perfect, go sell what you possess and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven and come follow me. Let me ask you this question. Now that we know what it looks like to be poor in spirit, number one, do we understand today and still walk with the reality that outside of Jesus we're spiritually bankrupt? And when, we, when it comes to our possessions, our times, and our relationship, do we say of them they're ours or do we say they're the Lord's? When we look at our checkbooks, when we look at our relationships, when we look at our entertainment, when we look at the things that we spend ourselves into, do they reflect the glory of God and the purpose of God? Or do they reflect our interest? I don't know what that looks like for you. I only know how God is dealing with me. I'm not the Holy Spirit. I'm just saying, ask that question. And let's seek the Lord and say, hey, God, am I pleasing you with the right spirit with the things that you've given me. Because I believe that one of the greatest distractions in the church today is actually the blessings of God. Are you with me? I believe that some of the greatest distractions that have come upon the church is actually the blessings of God. I don't know how many people have come to church with their lives completely destroyed. 
and, and they've given their lives to Christ and God has just blessed them. And then all of a sudden they reach this place where they feel there's no need to seek the Lord anymore. I have attained everything. And there's this, this plateau. And really what that plateau is, it's a flat line. It's all it really is. I don't know how many times in my life the blessing has become greater than the blesser. And I've realized through much discipline from the Lord, I am a jealous God. You belong to me and I belong to you. And and praise God that at times even he removes his blessing. He does. So that we can go back to the blesser. Isn't he a good God? And praise God that he's a good God. Man, does he bless beyond anything that we can ever imagine. But there's no blessing greater than knowing the one who blesses. Oh, God, help us to be poor in spirit in every way. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Why? Because we will inherit the kingdom of heaven. I love what Randy Alcorn says about this. You can't take anything from this earth with you to heaven, but you can send it before you. that a great example? When it comes to finances, we can't take anything with us to heaven, but we sure can send much to await us there. Why? Because there's a reward for those who live their lives for Jesus here on earth. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. When you look at the word mourn there, the, the words that relate to mourn there is those who weep, those who well, those who grieve. And for they will be comforted. Another important factor is that comfort actually denotes two things. When I was studying the word, comfort, it speaks to the reality of drawing close to. So the whole idea of God drawing close to someone. And also another word that describes that's inviting, an invitation to come. And I believe that that's the way God comforts. How does he comfort? He invites us to come close to him and he draws close to us. Blessed are those who mourn for they will be comforted. When we look at that scripture, we look at the reality of this. I want you to know something about the Christian walk. And I want you to know something about what it means to mourn. Mourn, what does it mean? Blessed, blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. For one, it speaks to the, the reality of sinners who have repented of their sins. What, what mourners... Is, is, is Jesus talking about? For one, he's speaking of those who have, been, who have mourned over their sins, who have regretted their actions against Jesus, and who have turned over in repentance to God. Do you remember when Peter preached? The Bible says that when he preached, the word was received, and that they were cut to the heart over their sin, and they cried out, what must we do to be saved? So if you're here today and you're saying, you know what, I'm grieved, I, mo- I, gr- I mourn over my sin sickness. I want you to know, praise God, blessed are those who mourn because they will, they will be comforted. If you're here at a place where you're saying, I'm tired of my sin. I'm tired of my sin sickness. I'm, I'm, I want to give my life to God. I am tired of the way I'm grieving God with my lifestyle. And you in your heart want to give your life to the Lord and you want to repent of your sins. I want you to know that you'll find a God who will comfort you right where you're at and will bring peace. This is why God says, blessed are those. Uh, This is why Jesus says, uh, come to me, you who are weary, and I will give you rest. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. 
God's intention for us who are grieved and mourning over our sins is this. God is not intending to turn, turn us away. He's intending to draw us close. He sees us mourning. He sees you mourning. He sees you weeping. He sees you grieving. And he makes an invitation today. Turn to me. So yes, it speaks to the reality that God forgives sinners. It also speaks to the reality of the believer. And the fact that you and I as followers of Jesus Christ, the reality is, in this world, we will have tribulation. But we take courage. Why? Because he overcame the world. He overcame the world. I want you to know something. Christian walk is difficult sometimes. Let me rephrase that. The Christian walk is difficult. Anybody with me? My favorite verse in the Bible is the one that, where Jesus says, if you're going to follow me, you have to pick up your cross quarterly and deny yourself. Right? Is that what it says? If you're going to follow me, if you're going to come after me, you've got to pick up your cross every week, once a week. It's daily. Daily. Can I suggest to you that Jesus is daily because he recognizes and he knows that we need to understand that daily there are going to be desires that rise up against his kingdom that he says, you got to say no to that to follow me. And can I say to you that daily is like a daily deal? I mean, I don't know about you all, but that daily thing happens to be daily for me. Anybody with me today? I just would feel some, such condemnation over, over the daily struggles. Like, again, I'm having these thoughts. I must be wretched. What is wrong? Daily pick up your cross and follow me. Daily. Say no to those thoughts. Say no to the devil. Say no to the temptation. Daily. Daily. And follow me. When you look at the scripture, whoever loves his life loses it. And whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, he must follow me. And where I am, there will my servant be also. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. Isn't that incredible? Listen to Jesus. He says, now is my soul troubled. And what shall I say, Father, save me from this hour? Here is Jesus, understanding that he's about to go to the cross. And he says, my soul is in deep trouble. And what am I to say? Save me from this hour? Am I supposed to pray that? Am I supposed to pray, oh God, save me from this hour? No, but for his, this purpose I have come to this hour. Father, glorify your name. And that gives us an example there. What do we really want? Oh, this is challenging for me. Because there are things that God has portioned that is set in the course for us so that we would draw close to God. Do we want God to take us out of suffering or do we want God to get the glory? Someone would say, can I have both? Glory to God. Is there, is there a way I can have both? Hey, you show me that verse and I'll take it. Let's run with it. Glory to God. But sometimes that's not the case. And our suffering, again, is sometimes our suffering, sometimes they're an invitation from God. Now, I'm not, at, I'm not telling you to go look for suffering, right? Don't be an idiot. Don't go look for more pain, Right? But when we do go through suffering, understand that they're a vehicle to draw us close to God. Philippians 3, 8 through 11, verse 10, Paul says, I will share in his sufferings, becoming like him in death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Isn't that incredible scripture? 
He says, I, I, will, I will partake. I will take part of suffering, whatever is allotted to me, so that in whatever way I may experience resurrection life. How many of us want to experience resurrection life? Certain things have to die. You know, it's interesting to me. You know, we, we say things like the flesh has to die, and everybody's like, amen. <laughs> yes. But it gets real at home, right? What's that Proverbs? The struggle is real. Anybody with me? It's like we're in church and we're like, yeah, glory to God, the flesh has to die. But Monday's like the flesh is dying. (laughs) Right? Right? It's just the way that we respond. It's just the reality. When we're dying in the flesh, it hurts. It hurts. It is God actually saying, my son, that character trait in you is disgusting to me. And I'm making you like me, which you allow me to shape and mold you. Don't get out of that oven. I ain't done with you. I'm not done. I praise God for his grace. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Listen, another scripture here that I think is key for us to remember. Paul says, 2 Corinthians 1 through 5, For as we share abundantly in Christ's suffering, so through Christ we share abundantly in comfort too. I want you to know this, that God's intention for your suffering, no matter what it may be, in the midst of whatever you're going through, God delights and desires and intends to comfort us. Amen? Amen. I don't know the purpose for suffering. I don't, I mean, I don't know the purpose for all your, your suffering, your personal suffering. All I know is this clear thing about scripture for the believer in all suffering. God meets him with comfort. If he runs to God, blessed are those who mourn for they will be comforted. Then we'll close with this. Blessed, blessed are the meek for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are the meek. For they will inherit the earth. When you look at the word meek, some translations would say gentle. Other translations would say, blessed are the humble. Philippians 2, 3 through 11 gives us a picture of what Paul intends for us to understand about being humble and being meek and gentle. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourself. What does it mean to be meek? What does it mean to be humble? What does it mean to be gentle? The words that Jesus shared. How does Paul describe them in Philippians chapter 2? It means this. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourself. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Isn't that incredible? Isn't that incredible? What does meek look like? Meek looks like being burdened for others. Being burdened for others. To the point that we long to be a blessing to those that surround us. Now, as we close, Jesus began to declare his kingdom. As he was declaring his kingdom, we see the kingdom of power of God. The power of the Holy Spirit just moving and healing and transforming people. The Bible says that Jesus had the Spirit without measure. 
And then directly after we see the power and the miraculous deal, I, I love it. God, Jesus goes right into dealing with character issues because he knows that something that has the ability of limiting the power of God is character that doesn't line up to his glory. Right? Something that has the ability of hindering our walk is a character that doesn't line up to God. Now, as he looks, as we look at that scripture, I want you to think about the power of God alive in us, making us poor in spirit, making us people who, through suffering, are not looking for a way out, but looking for God to be our comfort, listening to the invitation of God, and the people who are meek with all that surround us. I want you to just think about that. As I was preparing this message and just praying through this, you know what the church needs? is people who are poor in spirit, people who are People, people who are a people who in the midst of suffering, they turn to God for comfort. And people who are able to be meek with all of those that surround them. People who are meek and gentle and humble. A people who count others greater than themselves. The church needs that. You know the world needs? You know what the world needs? A people who are poor in spirit. A people who are in the midst of suffering, they can show an example of what it is to follow and obey Christ. And be comforted by God. The world needs a people who walk in meekness. A people who count even the unsaved. Those who don't know Jesus. As valuable because Jesus valued them. Is that the way that we live today? Is that the way that we live today? I believe that the power of the Holy Spirit is greatly manifested in those who are poor in spirit. Who are comforted by God. And who walk in meekness before him. Is that who we are this morning? Would you stand with me today? Thank you. Thank you. I'm carrying such a burden today. I know there are some of you here that are in such anguish, Hmm. such mental anguish. Hmm. I know that there are some of you here that are so burdened in your mind, and your hearts are so cold Hmm. that you can't receive something. And I'm telling you this morning, the Lord wants you up here at the altar. Because he wants to set you free. He wants to set you free from thoughts of death that would be better than to live this life, which is a lie from the enemy. He wants to fill you with life so full that you never feel the same again. But I want you to know he understands where you're at. You remember that's a savior. That's a savior in the desert. 40 days, no food, no water. Our savior after his baptism was driven into the desert to understand where you are today. And then in Gethsemane, as he sweat blood and anguish as his disciples slept, This is the God we serve. 
He died for you in your mental anguish today, in your confusion and your depression and your anxiety and your self-hatred and your addictions and your suicidal thoughts and each and every one of those things he wants to set you free from today. A young girl came up to me outside and told me a friend from school had committed suicide this morning. Do you see he wants to set us free for others? Yes. There is a generation lost in darkness. Yes. And it's lost in a commitment to the ways of the enemy. And it's time we arise and come to the altar and say, Papa, heal this heart. Hmm. For I want my light to shine so brightly. Yes, God. So this is morning. If you need a touch from Papa, if you need a touch from our Father, who is not up above waiting to bring the hammer down upon your head. Thank you, Jesus. But he is waiting for you to come and say, Daddy, I need a touch. I need a touch today, and I need freedom in my mind. God, it's dark in here. Mm. My self-hatred is great, and death seems greater. And the Lord says, I've appointed this day for you to live and not to die. Yes. Mm. So if you struggle, don't be ashamed to come up here. I'm up here. Mm -hmm. These are all my struggles. Mm -hmm. The Lord has redeemed me from them. We would love to Mm -hmm. pray with you. We serve a God of love and freedom. Yes. He wants to use you. Each and every one of you in here are important and precious to him. And you have a call upon your life. You have a call upon your life. Do you hear that? You have a call upon your life. Thank you, Father. He knows you by name. Thank you, Jesus. So would you just come this morning? If you have anguish, if you have suicidal thoughts, if you struggle in any way with self-hatred, or some sort of struggle mentally or in your heart, inferiority, please come. Let us pray with you this morning. God wants to touch you. Amen. Yes, isn't God good? Let's respond to God. Would you just say thank you, Jesus, for your word this morning. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. If you're here today, you need God to move in your life that way. Bring hope and healing. Would you come up? Would you come to the altar? We'd love to pray with you. But if you're here today and you're saying you know you're the church and you want to live with this resurrection power, with this roaring God, this roaring, a God who's a roaring lion within, and you want to be that hope, you want to be that meek person, that poor in spirit person that represents his kingdom here on earth. If that's you, would you come up to the altar? You're here and you're saying, you know what, I, I realized it. I realized today that I've been limiting, limiting the power of God in my life and, and I, I, I want I want God to manifest through me. I want to be the hope that God calls me to be. Uh, if that's you, would you come up to the altar right now? Say, I want to be a church filled with the power of God. I want to represent my God as a roaring lion, as a, a conquering king. If that's you, would you come to the altar right now? Amen. Let's pray. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for ministering to us hope. Thank you for teaching us, God, about your kingdom and your kingdom power. Lord, I thank you, God, for uh, just your deliverance today over those who need a healing touch, God, right now. And I thank you for your church, God, walking in resurrection power from here on out. 
Lord, in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Bless you guys. Bless you.